Hello, my name is Rochelle Innocent and I'm the founder and CEO of Project Purpose. Welcome to our channel. Our community is focused on fostering the intellectual and character development in children. We do this through our parent-child workshops that focus on four themes, autonomy, self-efficacy, compassion, and self-concept, in order to cultivate grit, perseverance, and resilience in each child. At Project Purpose, our overarching mandate is to renew and rebuild family, community, and relationships. Our different social media platforms provide us with an opportunity to have discussions on all topics that relate to family, community, and relationships with ourselves as well as with others, with a primary focus on mental health and education. More precisely, the ways that the institutions of mental health and education play a role and have played a role in our societies at large. These discussions and debates provide us with an opportunity to think critically about what needs to change within these structures in order for us to live up to our bold slogan, support, protect, and empower each child through youth-focused development, better known as leadership in juvenescence. We recognize that in valuing our children's leadership potential, this also translates as recreating and co-creating environments, both socially and politically, that enable our children to thrive. For those of you who are particularly keen on the topic, we do write thought pieces every other Sunday and we have one scheduled to drop this upcoming Sunday. So definitely be sure to check that out once you're done watching this segment. For those of you who are out and about and on the go, take us along with you. We're available on six different podcast platforms and we've provided the links in the description down below. Now, as is the convention, definitely be sure to subscribe. Hit that post notification bell so that you are aware of every time we post. And of course, if you like our content and you want to keep it going, like, comment, and share this segment. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another segment here on Project Purpose. For those of you who are new, we cover topics that relate to mental health, mental wellness, and education on a week-by-week -week basis. And this week, our topic of discussion is going to be mental wellness. So in this segment on mental wellness, we're going to be taking a different approach. So rather than approaching mental wellness in a vacuum, we're going to be discussing mental wellness as it relates to the impacts to our mental wellness when we're interacting with individuals whose behavior and whose, and whose actions and different tendencies have had a very negative impact on our mental wellness and how we deal with this moving forward. So in this specific segment, we're going to be talking about what people People consider to be the one-off so sort of the anomaly scenario not many of us think about the fact that when we think about the real world and that all the different types of personalities and dispositions that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis that some of those people that we interact with could be psychopaths um, and in fact when I say it it's funny we we laugh we think you know tongue-in-cheek you know what is the likelihood that I'm going to be interacting with a real-life psychopath on a day-to-day -day basis but I think I want you to hold on this for a moment um, just because we're going to talk about some of the metrics so actual psychopaths the estimate is that they make up roughly one percent of the population and because they're fairly drawn to to violence the I guess the propensity that we've interacted with a you know true clinical psychopath and you know live to tell the story it is fairly low if it's one percent though not impossible but where there is 
a higher degree of propensity that we are interacting with a psychopath is what we is when we think about the spectrum of psychopaths and the types of psychopaths that qualify as subclinical psychopaths. And so subclinical psychopaths are are oriented the same way as actual psychopaths, except they're better at hiding their psychopathic tendencies. So they're better able to function in society without anyone ever really recognizing that they have a psychopathic profile because they've been able to master the public and private personas. So they have two personas. They have the persona, the, fa the facade that they put on, which is the public persona. And then they have the private persona, which is what people see behind closed doors. So it's the, it's the person that very few people even have a sense exists, but those who do typically will live in terror and, and recognize that this isn't someone that they that they want to rumble with. This isn't someone that they really want to, they don't want to um, be the target of this per, of this individual. And so subclinical psychopaths, they make up roughly five to 15% of the population. So there's a lot more of them. And because they're able to sort of mask a lot of their psychopathic traits, they end up doing very well in, in highly competitive environments. They do really well in corporate settings they do really well in, in very competitive settings. So if you think about academic institutions that are fairly competitive, like, you know, MBA programs are fairly competitive environments. Uh, law programs are fairly competitive environments. And when you think about, you know, corporate, the corporate climate or different corporate environments, I want you to think about like the top echelon of corporate environments, you know, like the big three consulting firms, they would do relatively well in these settings as well. And what we need to recognize with these individuals is they have perfected the art of kissing up and kicking down. So those who are lateral to them and superior to them only see the charm. They only see, you know, someone who seems to be very empathic, who seems to be very caring, seems to be very self-aware. Um, and those who are underneath them, those who are subordinate to them, are those who really will have more of a propensity to see the private self. So some of the real motivations and inclinations of this individual. And I want to talk about subclinical psychopaths because a lot of the time if we are dealing with a toxic work environment or dealing with toxicity in the different settings that we find ourselves in, we chalk it up to, you know, you know, just poor relations or having friction in the workplace. And we rarely ever deduce it as being, hey, I, I'm interacting with someone who might happen to be a subclinical psychopath and, you know, is sort of in hiding. And I'd like to bring some light to this because I've had a few people ask me to talk a little bit more about different tools that we can develop when we are interacting with really very toxic people who, who seem as though their lifelong mission is to make us miserable. And I, I thought to myself, okay, well, let me talk about a profile of individual, like a scientific profile of an individual who lives and breathes to create chaos and to subjugate people to them, so to, to dominate specific people. And I think what I'll do is, because this is something that I've been impacted by personally, and those who know me, regardless of what setting in which we've met, whether that's in a previous work environment, whether that is based on my alumni community, you know, wherever it is that we've met, all of you have interacted with this person or people affiliated with this person. So if you're watching this video, you know who I'm talking about. 
But what I'll do is I will provide some objective tips and tricks while also layering in some personal anecdotes because I, I, I'm someone, I have two degrees, I have an MBA, you know, I've worked in very competitive multinational firms. I have worked in firms where, you know, success and competition are intertwined, which is a bit of a breeding ground for people who are on the psychopathic spectrum, but are good at hiding it. So mastering that art of kiss up and kick down. A few things to note. The first thing that I wanted to make sure I distinguish is the demarcation between someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder and someone who is a psychopath. Someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder is emotionally stunted. So by way of their emotional development, they are stunted, typically to do with experiences that they've had in the world that make it hard for them to see themselves for who they truly are based on an a deeply held belief of, of their lack of worthiness, right? So there's a lot of self-loathing there. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of, you know, experiences that, you know, the research tells us supports why someone kind of cultivates a, a narcissistic profile. Whereas when we talk about someone who is a psychopath, there's a nature-nurture debate there. A lot of people who are psychopaths are, are, are born and not bred. But then it's a bit of a combination. So they're born with a certain neurophysiological sort of baseline um, by way of some of the executive functioning in their brain and by way of the way that their amygdala reacts to pleasure response reacts to different rewards. You know, people who are on, on a spectrum that isn't a psychopathic spectrum, like our reward system, you know, it activates accordingly. Whereas if you're thinking about someone who's on a psychopathic spectrum, their reward system is four times more rewarding. And and however it is that that reward incentivizes me, that incentive is four times stronger in someone who has a psychopathic profile. Another distinguishing characteristic between a, a psychopath and, and a narcissist is that a psychopath has no empathy. So they don't have any capacity for emotional expression. So this is very important because a narcissist has glimpses of empathy. It's very broken. Their capacity to really be empathic pulls them away from their egocentricity. And they have to be egocentric because they're busy protecting themselves or protecting themselves from their own perception of their unworthiness and from, you know, their 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 own self-loathing, their self-hatred. They, they are trying to hide behind a facade, whereas someone who is a psychopath, they're not driven by self-loathing and self-hatred. They really don't have much of an emotional spectrum whatsoever, but they have a really strong understanding of empathy so they can play at being empathic and they can do it very well because they don't have a conscience. And I think that's another distinguishing mark between a narcissist and a psychopath is that, you know, a narcissist will, you know, they, they, they create toxic environments, but there typically is a limit. There's typically a cap that most of them will go to. There's some barometer of right and wrong there, even if it's very skewed and even if they can rationalize why they can, you know, do a wrong, there's a bit of an inner dialogue that still is taking place there that they justify the wrong things that they do. Whereas with the psychopath, there's no inner dialogue. If there is a reward, if there is an incentive, then they're just going to go for it. And remember that rewards for psychopaths are four times more rewarding than that for someone who is not in the psychopathic spectrum. And they also have no empathy whatsoever, but they're very good at playing empathy. They're very good at kissing up and kicking down. And they thrive in very competitive, very you know high stakes environment because these people are ruthless they're very callous and if they want something they go out and they get it so while we don't want to interact with a narcissist this is not a fun situation it's a really toxic environment and it's a toxic relationship to get into 
and it's difficult to get out of, we're gonna talk a little bit about the psychopath and how we get out of a relationship with the psychopath who has targeted us. So let's focus here on the subclinical psychopath. So the psychopath in hiding. So the person who does really well in corporate settings, who does really well in you know competitive academic settings, and who knows how to play the game to work their way up the ladder, right? Because they kiss up, they kick down. And now let's think about someone who has achieved lots of power and lots of privilege. And not only are they very successful in the academic arena, they're also very successful in the corporate arena. They've amassed a high degree of social capital, a lot of respect, a lot of recognition, and they've been able to stay in hiding for a fairly long time. Now, all of us know someone like this, but maybe we don't know that this person is actually a psychopath. And so how do we deal with that? Well, the best way to deal with it is to completely get away from them, to not play the game with them because they play by a completely different set of rules. They don't have a moral structure from which to play on in order to try to you know relate or rationalize why certain actions and behaviors are completely inappropriate and when they have a sense of reward how one can recognize that they're interacting with a psychopath is that there's nothing that they won't do so for me i have personally been targeted by someone who i believe to be a subclinical psychopath and the reasons why i believe this is you know this person you know they were very much involved in the leadership arena and actually when I finished the blueprint of Project Purpose which is which is like the baby that has grown into what exists today I finished it just as I was wrapping up my MBA and then I ended up moving to France and the first few months in France I was kind of just figuring myself out and I was networking and building my professional network while I was in France all while building Project Purpose while I was building her website and this leader actually came to France and asked to meet with me and he asked if he could pay for my living expenses while I was in France so that I could focus all of my attention on this project. Now, this immediately raised alarm bells for me. Like I was not comfortable with having someone who was my mentor and a leader paying for my living expenses while I was in France. I was perfectly capable of supporting myself. I'm very good at adapting to my circumstances. And so I declined. I was like, no, I don't need anyone to pay for my living expenses. And I think he saw that I was a little bit rattled by his offer. And I know that his offer was to do with, you know, his interest in Project Purpose as a blueprint because she didn't exist outside of being a concept at that point in time. So that kind of is where the conversation ended. And the next time I saw him, he wanted to introduce me to his wife. So for me, I'm thinking about sort of the way that my interaction with him ended the first time he and I had met for coffee in France. And then this time I'm meeting his wife. And I understood that he was just trying to show me that, you know, he's not a creep. I think he wanted me to trust him. I think he saw that I thought it was a bit creepy that he offered to pay for my living expenses. And so I, I met his wife and then, uh, you know, on a subsequent occasion, I met his, his child and I, we started to form a form of friendship and that he would ask for updates on Project Purpose and he would just make it very clear that he was interested in participating in Project Purpose and in supporting Project Purpose. And I was very flattered of his interest, but for me, you know, she was still too new. She was still too fresh for me to include anyone else in her growth and development. I mean, 
between, I recognize sort of the power disparity that exists between this individual and I, and I wanted to build project purpose for the vision that I had of her. And I knew that in order for me to protect that vision, I needed to build it on my own until I had amassed enough recognition for what she was becoming to, to feel comfortable sort of including other investors in her growth and development. So I, I kept him at arm's length. Like I was happy to continue on building trust and getting a better sense of who he was, but I had this intuition that it just was better to keep this individual at arm's length just because of the power disparity that existed between the two of us. Now we flash forward to 2019. I end up leaving France and coming back to Toronto, though I was unsure of whether or not I was going to stay in Toronto. And I networked with a few mentors and leaders that I really respected, including this individual, to get a sense of to whether or not I could recruit in different pipelines. So I actually started my recruitment into different pipelines just before the pandemic sort of flared up and then everyone went to self-isolation and he really wanted to support me into sort of making my way into this one particular firm that I was recruiting for because as we know that I love digital consulting and I wanted to work within the arena of digital consulting and so he wanted to help me into his specific firm but I had an apprehension because I knew that you know he wanted to help me but he was still very interested in project purpose at the time project purpose was still too new for me to feel comfortable sharing her and sharing her growth and development and my growth strategy with anyone else. So I had this deep apprehension about joining with the firm and and being and there not being enough distance between between him and Project Purpose. That was like a concern that was at the undercurrent of every interaction that I had with it. And I had great interactions with this firm. I loved all the people that I connected with and met with at this firm. But it was this concern that wouldn't go away. It was this flag that wouldn't go away that I needed to keep more distance between project purpose, the company that I was building, and a lot of the people that I was meeting with at the firm, they knew what project purpose was, they had a sense of what it was I was trying to grow and develop, and like that's all fair and good, but it just made me feel all the more just on alert about the fact that project purpose was probably still too new, still too small for me to potentially put myself in a position where I would be compromising my position with project purpose and compromising the vision that I was hoping to build with project purpose. So this was sort of in the back of my head. I, I tried to subtly sort of back my way out of that race and for several different reasons, that being one of the major reasons. And then I was frozen into a, a few other recruitment pipelines and I really wasn't quite sure what to do because no one had a sense of how long this pandemic was going to be. So I figured, you know what, while I was sitting and waiting, I would put all my efforts in project purpose while I figured out what my next steps were because I didn't know if my next steps were to stay in Toronto or stay with my family who I was staying with at the time or to do something else or go somewhere else. I really had no idea what my next steps were going to be. And then, you know, because of the pandemic and all a bunch of different factors. I was staying with my family. I needed to leave that setting. It became very toxic for me. And that was a very meticulously planned exit. It was a very meticulously planned exit and went well. It just wasn't as contained as I, as I hoped it to be. So I didn't realize that, you know, people in my professional network would get a sense of what was going on, but then sort of have their own spin to it. So I was fine. I was always fine the entire time. I just wanted to plan it out so that I had a lot of visibility on my exit. And, and that was a story for a completely different time. But that meant that different people in my professional network had a sense that, you know, I 
exited sort of my family home and they didn't understand why I exited my family home and that I was in some sort of trouble. Now, this isn't something that I substantiated. No one came to me specifically to ask if I was okay or if I was in trouble, but there's a lot of rumors going around at this point in time and I just kind of shrugged it off, figuring that the rumors would die out as people saw that I was, you know, living my day to day. And so at this point, I ended up staying in an Airbnb because I thought to myself, well, I'm not really quite sure if I'm staying or if I'm going, so I'll stay in like a temporary residence while I figure out my next steps here. And so this leader, this mentor caught wind of this. He was made aware of this. And as I was kind of figuring out my next steps and getting a sense of what it was that I was going to do, I recognized that um, my computer had been hacked. I was working, I was doing some work with this leader. And I, I found out that my computer had been hacked, that all of my information had been leaked, um, all of my passwords, all of my subscriptions, my LinkedIn had been hacked. So the networking efforts that I was doing, I was getting stonewalled in all of my networking efforts. And what makes this very disheartening of a story is that he was working with my peers. So people who I thought were my friends were supporting him and helping him stonewall me and making progress in different recruiting efforts that I was doing to try to get back into the consulting ring now that I was back in Toronto. And I also was being surveyed. So at first I really wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Like I thought maybe it stemmed from a deep concern as to my well-being because of all of the sort of drama that stemmed from me exiting my, my family home at the time. Um, but after a period of time, when I realized that, you know, my computer was being hacked, all of my contacts were hacked. And those of you who know me, you know that this has taken place because you've most definitely received a phone call asking for information about me or being told that I was in a bad place or I was in a dark place. None of this is true. This is just part of, I guess, the scheme to kind of keep me close, to keep Project Purpose close. And all of this sounds unreal. It sounds surreal, but this is what took place with me as it relates to my interaction with someone who I believe to be a subclinical psychopath. Based on my understanding of, of, of the situation, there was an entire life plan built for me. So um, there is a plan built for me as to my participation as an alumni within sort of the academic setting that I was in. So they stonewalled all of my actual recruitment efforts and they tried to pigeonhole me into a role that would involve me building a use case for project purpose, but for adults. And this was before I started my YouTube channel. So that means no one knew that my growth strategy involved providing tips and tricks to adults by having conversations on YouTube to do with mental wellness, mental health, and education. So I guess, you know, this mentor who at this point is transitioning from being a mentor to being my tour mentor, had at this point hacked all of my, hacked all of my, you know, hacked into my computer, had hacked into all of my contacts, all of my contacts, everyone that I had known, whether you were a peer, a friend, an acquaintance, a previous work colleague, a current work colleague, whether you were in Canada or in France or anywhere else in the world, all of you have been contacted by this person or by people who are affiliated to this person who I thought were my friends, but clearly are not my friends. And this hope to pigeonhole me in order to build a use case for project purpose but sort of a version for adults because I didn't realize that my growth strategy involved 
providing an arm of Project Purpose to support and protect and empower adults as well. So when I realized that this was really an entire operation, so to speak, where it was even like to the detail where like they had an opinion on the way I wore my hair, they had an opinion on my makeup, they had an opinion on even my nails, like how I did my nails. I was like, it's time for me to get out of here. <laughs> and so I left, I left like a thief in the night. I actually ended up leaving in the middle of the night and I drove like straight, like 18 hours straight all night to um until i absolutely couldn't drive anymore until like i was absolutely sure that i was going to be a risk on the on the road but at that point i was very far away from toronto and i've been sort of under the radar since and so i, I like to talk about this experience because i think that when you're dealing with someone who has no empathy whatsoever who has no emotional spectrum whatsoever to try to rationalize with this kind of person it is a it is it's not going to get you anywhere, right? And when, when someone sees you as a commodity, they don't even see your humanity because they don't have the capacity to look at humanity subjectively. Like you're just a tool to them. And as far as he's concerned, this mentor who is now my tormentor and the reason why I've been under the radar for a very extended period of time is because he thinks he created me. He thinks he made me. And in a way, he thinks I belong to him. And until, and I thought that if I stayed away for a couple of months, that he would kind of pivot his attention elsewhere and you know things would kind of blow over but it's been over a year now where I've kind of been battling behind the scenes with this person and the individuals that sort of are working with him and I don't know if it's that if it's that they're afraid of him sort of targeting them or if it's that they're manipulated or I don't know what the situation is like I'll give them the benefit of the doubt but he was able to leverage peers of mine in order to get close to me and because of his status because he is very high up by way of his position in both an academic setting as well as in the corporate setting in a firm that is well known globally he has access when he calls people they tell him everything when he offers solutions they listen the fact that he called my previous employer probably spoke with one of my actual mentors and built a plan to have a use case completed without first consulting me just assuming that I would bend and I would submit to his will it is frightening to me. And for those of you who are at this firm who I'm sure are watching this video, I had absolutely no idea that I was being put up to do a use case. I was not consulted whatsoever. It was just sort of expected that I would take this role that I was pigeonholed into because I was stonewalled from all of the other recruitment opportunities that I was pursuing at the time and all of this you know while they didn't realize that I knew what was going on and I knew that what they were doing I had already gone to Apple I had already recognized the point of entry for the viruses I recognized who put in the viruses I had the viruses removed and once the viruses were removed and they had no visibility on my internet activity I recognized which emails were coming in with all of the phishing links in order to reinstall these specific viruses and they were all coming from his department. So luckily for me working in France, we had an intensive training on how to recognize emails that are, are embedded with phishing links that you know monitor activity in your computer or install viruses in your computer. So I was able to leverage that in my real life, but it's the reason why I'm AWOL right now. And for those of you who received a phone call saying, oh, you know, like they're worried, you know, I'm in a dark place. I'm absolutely not in a dark place. I'm 
in an obscure place. I, I'm in a complete obscurity at this point in time, but that was just because I realized that it was getting to be too much. Like I, it was more than I could personally deal with on my own as an individual. And I thought to myself, well, I need to keep myself sort of away from these individuals. I need to kind of cut their visibility of me while still continuing to build project purpose. And because they had access and they were able to leak data from where I was doing my freelance gigs and they were sort of following my internet activity from afar, I couldn't even do freelance gigs. I couldn't find different ways of sort of generating income just because of his reach. He was searching for me and interacting with people that I had met while I was in France. So I had to just kind of stick to what it was that I was building, which is project purpose, even though like I'm not in a position to be solely focused on her growth. Like she's only now just starting to generate revenue. So it's been very difficult. You know, I've been subjected to financial abuse. I mean, I've been subjected to surveillance. He's completely breached every aspect of my privacy. He's called crushes that I had in the past that I haven't called or spoken to in years. He's called exes of mine that I would never speak to again. I mean, he's called all of my previous employers, all of them willingly providing information because of just who he is and the status that he carries. No one recognizing that, you know, this person is really a very dangerous human being and he's been given the power and the privilege to really abuse that power and privilege and put me in a position where I'm trying to continue to build my vision, but I'm isolating myself from my friends and from my network because I really don't know like who is in his pocket and who isn't. And I think I've reached a point now where I think that everyone knows. I'm trying to get a sense that everyone has a sense of there being something that's going on. And I like to take this opportunity to kind of share my side of it and to give you a sense as to why I'm AWOL and why I'm under the radar and sort of off the grid. And I think this is the important time to do it because I was very clear on the fact that I'm trying to build a career of my dreams, which is absolutely true. And that was met with a lot of pushback. So, so I got a lot of like different subliminal messages that pretty much indicated that I was going to be punished for that. And then um, in my last, post I talked a bit about growth and I provided a lot of indicators to let him know because I know he's definitely watching these videos that I know who he is and what he's been doing and I got escalated threats as a result of that so at this stage it's like you know I'm done sort of playing this game I'm done being in hiding I'm done trying to figure out how to get myself out of this situation because I thought that it would wane with time I thought that with time he would find a different target and leave me alone I didn't really think it would become this obsessive and this intensified and I think it's because like he's put himself in a corner he was so confident that he would get away with playing out my life and managing my life and sort of dominating at my every move and action that he really put himself and his face and his reputation on the line not recognizing that I was just going to like leave in the middle of the night and like make sure to do my best to ensure that he had no sense of where I was and and sort of uh, keep myself at arm's length that way so I've been penalizing myself, you know, in, in that sense, because I'm, I'm focusing on her growth. I mean, she's generating revenue, so I'm really excited about that. But there was a period of time where she wasn't, like, I was still just building her. And I had to learn everything on my own. Like, I had to do everything on my own because the risk of being found for me was just too high because I really didn't understand why it was such... I really didn't understand the obsession. I really didn't understand why it was so intense. Um, but at this point, like, I think I still don't quite understand 
the whys behind everything, but I do recognize that, you know, he's not working alone, he's working with some of my peers. And for those of you who are watching who are like, well, what's going on? And you've received a phone call from someone who is my peer or who is my friend who let you know, you know, I'm in a dark place, but is looking for me. Please don't tell them where I am. And please know I am not in a dark place, but I am sort of seeking assistance. I think this video is me seeking assistance because I really don't know what to do anymore, but I'd like to just give a sense of my journey dealing with a subclinical psychopath somewhat and I do believe that these are the traits of a subclinical psychopath because I think for him to continuously pursue me despite the fact that I have disappeared since January like I left end of December and he's still seeking me like he's looking for me everywhere I don't I don't have a sense that this is going to end anytime soon unless I ask those of you who've received a phone call who have heard from him to speak up and to help me because I don't think hiding is the right solution um, so this is my personal experience. This is going to be a two-part series. I think that that's the best way to to address this topic. That's been my personal experience, and I think as someone, I, I mean, I mean, I feel like I'm fairly accomplished in my own career. I mean, I've been able to achieve a lot of success in my career, and I'm very proud of the successes that I've been able to accomplish. And I think maybe as a result of those successes is, is part of the reason why I've been targeted. But I'm at a stage where I really am not quite sure like how to help myself in this situation without calling for the help of my peers, my colleagues, and my even the acquaintances in my life, like whether, you know, and, and other, the people who I've formed any form of relationship with. I mean, he even called my estranged family, like everyone has been informed of this man's search for me. And I think it's about time. I think this is the opportunity for me to let you know, like, please don't let him know where I am. And I think that if you are part of someone's network and part of someone's community where they're dealing with this kind of abuse, to do something, to do anything. And frankly, like at this stage, I don't really even know what the right course of action is. I feel like I've tried to do everything that I can to kind of mitigate my own physical harm as it relates to this person because I'm starting to realize that it can escalate to that extent. But I initially just thought it was self, it was just him being selfish. It was just people trying to seize an opportunity. They thought I was very vulnerable and they wanted to take advantage of that vulnerability, not recognize that I wasn't vulnerable at all. There was at no point last year where I was vulnerable. Everything that I did, I did very eyes wide open. It was very calculated. It was very intentional, sort of the moves that I was making as I was like exiting my family home and deciding that those were those were relationships that I did not want to continue um, but to them I think they saw it as otherwise um, and, and they kind of jumped at that opportunity and I thought it would go away with time and it still hasn't gone away so because of this person's power and privilege this isn't a fight that I can do on my own but yeah like it's been financial abuse it's been isolation like he's kind of kept my friends from me or he's used my friends in order to get more access um, to information about me to get a better sense of how to control and manipulate me. I mean, he has recorded my phone calls. He is on a lot of my video conferencing calls. Like he knows everyone that I know and everyone that I know thinks that he's trying to help me. And I'm here to let you know that that's not the case. Like he's not my mentor. He's my tormentor. He's been tormenting me for the last year and a half. And yeah, maybe it started off as a mentorship relationship, but I think he saw something in Project Purpose that he wanted for himself that is not his to take. 
And then I think now he sees that there's something in me and in Project Purpose that he wants for himself. But like, I'm my own person. I'm a free agent. Like, I'm not interested in being controlled and, and, and being dominated. And at this stage, I really am not quite sure what to do because unless he is stripped of his power and his privilege, there's not a whole lot that I can do without giving him access to me and a sense of where I am specifically. And I don't feel safe with him knowing where I am specifically. So this has had a very negative impact on my own mental well-being. This is something that I've been battling for the last year and a half. It's the reason why I've made a lot of the moves that I've been making. Um, I've been very busy, been moving from place to place, and now you get a sense as to why. I mean, I am a digital nomad, but like I've had to take it to a different extreme because I'm trying to stay out of reach hoping that that would make me out of mind, but that's not been what's taking place. So if you're someone who's in my network and you're watching this video, I'm asking you to please help me. I mean, if there's any advice that you can provide me, definitely shoot me an email and let me know like what it is that I should be doing or if there's anything that you can do to help me without even letting me know that you're helping me, I would really appreciate it. But I want to give you a sense of what's actually going on and my sense of why it's taking place. I do believe that this person has been masquerading as someone who's well-intentioned and who's super empathic, but he's not any of those things. And I think it's about time that someone kind of raised the flag on it and kind of speak very openly about it because it's, I'm sure that I'm not the only one. I'm sure I'm not the first person. I might be the first person to speak up about it or to even have, you know, a growing public platform to speak up about it, to kind of bring uh, light to this situation. But for those of you who know me and who are concerned for me, I appreciate your concern. I appreciate that you're curious as to what's going on with me. And I hope now things are starting to fall in place and it's starting to make sense. And I'm so sorry that everyone in my life who's been in my contact list has kind of been dragged into this. Um, it's not my intention but since you're here already I'm going to ask for your help and I'd love to get a sense as to what you think I should do with as by way of my next steps I'm not sure what my next steps are um, until or unless all of you who've been contacted speak up I really don't have a lot of evidence that I can use um, necessarily to support what's going on a lot of this has been behind the scenes and it will be my word against their word unless I have your words to kind of support and substantiate what it is that I'm saying. So yeah, so this ended up being a complete personal anecdote. I hope that that's okay. And it's an ongoing story and it's been very toxic. And I think that trying to remove myself in order to gain my life back, I think that that felt like the right strategy just based on the research that I've done and on how to deal with someone who's a psychopath. It's like, don't deal with it, like completely get out of their, their world. Like you need to just kind of remove yourself completely. There's no rationalizing. There's no like having a conversation or kind of meeting halfway. Like these people are just kind of built and oriented very differently. So that's what I've done. It's just, it's been over a year and I can't continue to like not live my life and to like not build relationships with my friends and to kind of just be on the outskirts of the life that I have it, while this person, while I wait for this person to shift his attention elsewhere, when it seems the, that after a year, he's all the more focused on me than he was even a year and a half ago. So, th so if there's anything that you can do to help, if there's any advice that you can give, I'm here to take it. Um, usually I'm here giving advice by way of mental wellness and how to support your mental wellness. But in this video, I am asking for support and suggestions on how I deal with my own mental wellness in relation to this situation that I'm in right now. So 
that's pretty much this video. It's gonna be a part two series because I don't see how I could pivot from this conversation within the same week. It's kind of been the only thing that's on my mind. So I guess in the next conversation, I'll talk a little bit about the actions that I've taken in order to keep myself at arm's length from him. And let's see how this story ends. So for those of you who are watching, thank you so much for giving me your time and attention. Please share this video to anyone you know that I know who's been contacted by this individual or the individuals who are affiliated with this individual. Again, he's connected to both like the top school in Canada, the top business school in Canada, as well as the top big three firm globally. So he's got a lot of power and privilege. Unless I have my community of, of individuals supporting me, I really don't see how I can do this on my own. So in that case, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate your time and I'll see you in the next video.